Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A top economist issues a warning about the economy. He says it's weakening much faster than most people expected. Closing the gaps. The Biden administration is finishing some sections of border wall in Arizona. That comes after Arizona sued the administration for halting construction. Groups of climate protesters storm the annual congressional baseball game, demanding the government take more action. Police make some arrests. TikTok spending a record amount on lobbying in the U.S. What risks does the platform pose to U.S. national security and to Americans? We get some insight from a national security expert. top economist has issued a warning after yesterday's GDP report. It showed the U.S. economy shrank at a yearly rate of nine-tenths of a percent. It's the second straight quarter of negative growth. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. Former Obama official Mohammed El Arian told CNBC Thursday that the latest GDP numbers show the U.S. economy is weakening at a much faster rate than most people expected. Yes, inflation is going to come down at a headline level, but it's not going to come down fast enough given how fast the economy is weakening, and that's going to put the Fed in the same dilemma it's been in for the last few months. He tweeted that there's a risk of deepening stagflation and flashing red recession. El Arian said he hopes the Fed focuses on getting inflation under control. The U.S. economy has now seen two straight quarters of negative growth, igniting a debate about whether we're in a recession. The group that officially declares recessions, the National Bureau of Economic Research, looks at more than just GDP. The White House says it's difficult to declare a recession when other factors are strong. Our economy remains resilient. Our unemployment rate stands at 3.6 percent, household finances are strong, and industrial output continues to grow. Yellen did acknowledge that the U.S. economy is slowing and warned of numerous risks on the horizon. Meanwhile, more lawmakers reacted Thursday to the surprise spending deal reached by Senate Democrats. It'd be the most ambitious climate action ever taken by the U.S. Democrat lawmakers are praising it. Just the fact that for the first time ever, we're making a really significant investment in fighting climate change, that's going to bring hope to two different generations. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin called his deal a win-win that would benefit the country. It's a good bill. It's a Democrat and Republican bill. But bipartisan, it is not. They want to use the middle-class economic crisis they themselves created as an excuse to raise your taxes and ram through their Green New Deal nonsense. Senate Democrats are using a special process that would let them pass the bill without 60 votes, so no Republicans needed. The parliamentarian is now reviewing whether they can use that process or not. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Two updates on the border. One is that President Biden is finishing some sections of the border wall in Arizona. Former President Trump started the project. And two, migrants reportedly felt like they nearly suffocated when about 100 of them were transported inside a single trailer. Here's the story. Arizona Democratic Senator Mark Kelly says Department of Homeland Security agrees on closing gaps in the border wall in Arizona's Yuma sector. According to the senator, the gaps pose a security threat to Yuma. The senator says he wants to ensure that Arizona has the tools needed for a secure and orderly process at the border, including fencing and barriers where they make sense. During his presidential campaign, Biden told NPR that he's against the wall. There will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. However, Republicans have repeatedly said that it's illegal for Biden to stop construction of the wall. That's because the money for the construction was already allocated by then-President Trump and approved by Congress. In October of 2021, the Texas Attorney General filed a lawsuit against President Biden for the administration's cancellation of border wall contracts. Mexican authorities say they discovered almost 100 migrants abandoned inside a trailer in southern Mexico on Wednesday. We were told there were close to 100 immigrants traveling in the trailer. When they started to feel suffocated, they hit the roof of the trailer and most of them jumped out. Medical personnel treated migrants with knee and ankle injuries. One person was found unconscious and taken to hospital. But not all wanted their injuries to be treated, according to medics. Afterwards, migrants wanted to flee the place. Many of them have approached us to receive first aid. Some people preferred to run away because they feared for their well-being. 
And near Puerto Rico, authorities said on Thursday that the bodies of five people have been recovered from the sea. That's after migrants were forced to get out of a makeshift wooden boat. When they reached the coast of Mona Island, the smugglers in charge of the boat told them to jump into the water. And at that time, 75 people jumped in and five of them were killed. Officials have not yet confirmed the nationalities of those on board. And over in D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser says the nation's capital is now dealing with a humanitarian crisis. It has to do with illegal immigrants, and now she's asking for the military's help. And today's Jason Perry has the story. So I've asked um, for the deployment of the Guard as long as we need the Guard to deal with a humanitarian crisis that we expect to escalate. That crisis being the flow of bus after bus heading to Washington from Texas and Arizona all voluntarily transporting illegal immigrants. Texas Governor Greg Abbott and Arizona Governor Doug Ducey don't appear to be slowing down the bus trips to Washington anytime soon. Their reason? Here's Abbott on KTEK last week. The, the, the people in Washington, D.C. seem to have a different standard. They think that uh, it's okay to have the open border situation uh, as long as it remains in places like Texas. Uh, we wanted to, to make sure that because Joe Biden has never come to the border, we want to take the border to Joe Biden and let them understand what we are having to deal with uh, right here. And, and they are only dealing with about the number of migrants that we have come across our border per day. According to a letter obtained by NBC4 reporter Mark Seagraves, Mayor Bowser says over 4,000 people have arrived at the nation's capital since April. It indicates that Bowser requested the National Guard on the 19th, but reporter Seagraves says no answer yet on her request. We reached out to the Office of the Secretary of Defense and the White House for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News. Three climate protesters were arrested on Thursday during the 87th Congressional Baseball Game after blocking an entrance to Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. The game attracted climate change groups who demanded more immediate action on climate issues. Several of them gathered at the entry gate, attempting to disrupt people who wanted to enter the stadium. The police formed lines separating attendees and demonstrators. Three activists were arrested and charged with unlawful entry. On July 27th, the chief of the Capitol Police announced they were aware of protesters planning to hold demonstrations at the game. Those who spoke at the demonstration demanded that President Biden declare a climate emergency. They blamed the administration for giving priority to corporate interests. The game was won 10-0 by Republicans. Historically, the Republicans are leading the series with 42 wins, with Democrats registering 41 wins. And coming up, as a heat wave continues, doctors and firefighters sound the alarm about kids falling from windows. One mother recounts her own harrowing experience with her young children. And shark sightings increase along the New York shoreline, and at least three people have been bitten in the past month. Boats and lifeguards try to spot them. Find out more right here on NTD News. A federal appeals court says 22 years in prison is not enough for a terrorist convicted in the deadly Benghazi attack a decade ago. The September 11, 2012 attack led to the deaths of several people, including a U.S. ambassador. This was the first time in 40 years that a sitting U.S. ambassador was killed in the line of duty. U.S. forces captured Ahmed Abu Katala in 2014. Katala was the leader of an Islamist militia operating in the Benghazi area. He was convicted in November 2017 for his role in the attack. A U.S. District Court judge gave him a 22-year sentence. On July 26th, the U.S. Court of Appeals found the sentence to be unreasonably low for the crimes committed. A man accused of raping and impregnating a 9-year-old Ohio girl will be held without bond. The judge announced the decision on Thursday, saying the girl shouldn't have to be around the alleged rapist. This man lived in the home with this child to allow him to return to that home, the traumatic and psychological impact would be undeserving to an alleged victim. If convicted, the alleged rapist, Gerson Fuentes, faces the possibility of life in prison with no chance of parole. He's from Guatemala and appears to be in the U.S. illegally, according to the judge. The judge said that he poss- his possible penalty and the fact that he might be in the U.S. illegally make for a substantial flight risk. 
The county prosecutor said DNA testing of the aborted fetus confirmed Fuentes was the father. A detective said he couldn't find any evidence that Fuentes was in the country legally. The girl previously confirmed that Fuentes attacked her. When Fuentes was arrested earlier this month, he confessed to police that he raped the girl. Five members of an African track and field team that had been missing for days in Oregon have been found. They are visiting Eugene from Eritrea for the Oregon 22 World Athletics Competition. The Eritrean National Athletics Federation reported four athletes and their coach missing from university campus housing on Sunday. They had not been seen since Saturday night. That same organization is now saying they have been located and are resuming activities with the team. It's not known where they went or what they were doing while authorities were searching for them. As the heat wave continues across the country, doctors and firefighters are warning parents and caregivers about kids falling from windows. Between 3,500 and 5,000 kids, usually between 2 and 5 years old, fall from windows annually in the United States. And today's Andrew Thomas has more. While her teenage stepson watched her young kids earlier this month, Chelsea Nelson took a short break in her adjacent bedroom. Then she heard a loud noise. And I just all of a sudden heard a loud bang. Um, and it was so loud that I, you know, instinctually I just had to go see what it was. Um, and my stepson, who's 15, was on our patio and that's when he told me they had fallen. Um, and I just see them off my balcony, you know, just laying lifeless on the ground. Her two-year-old Jamari and five-year-old Alavia had fallen from their third-story apartment. She rushed out in a panic. Ran down the stairs and it was almost like a nightmare, you know, where like those staircases just feel like they're never ending. And for some reason I just couldn't catch my footing and I feel like I'm tripping down every step as I'm, you know, rushing down the stairs. She found her daughter unconscious and bloodied. Her son was knocked out too. And just last week, a toddler died after falling 15 stories in Chicago. It's tragic, partly because the injuries can often be severe, even devastating, partly because families are so shaken up by it, most parents didn't realize that this is something that could even happen. In the Pacific Northwest, falls from windows spike in the summer. The region is facing temperatures in the 90s this week. Officials say steps to keep kids away from windows include getting stoppers so that a window doesn't open more than four inches, moving furniture away from windows, and constant supervision. I'm talking to anybody that will listen because I had no idea either. You know, I had no idea what a window stop was. I had no idea what window guards were. Days after their fall, both of Nelson's kids still have scratches healing on their faces, but she said they're mostly back to normal. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Shark sightings are on the rise along the New York shoreline, and at least three people have been bitten in the past month. Patrol boats, drones, and lifeguards are working to alert swimmers of any possible shark sightings. And today's Andrew Thomas reports. Lieutenant Sean Riley is with the New York State Environmental Conservation Police. He explained what they look for on a patrol boat. Bunker's going to be the thing that's going to get our attention. Bunker up on the surface, that something's pushing them up there. And then we'll go by and try and see if we can verify what it is. Cleaner oceans, warmer water temperatures, and a resurgence of bunker fish that sharks feed on are seen as factors. Detection from drones to helicopters has also improved. They've had the sharks all the way in five, 10 feet of water, right you know, 20 feet off the beach in a couple places, but I want to say it's normal for them to be that tight unless they're really chasing some schools of bait fish. A lifeguard with a drone on Long Island's Jones Beach captured footage of a large shark chasing a school of fish in early July. A great white shark carcass was removed from a Long Island beach earlier in the month. The shark was approximately six and a half feet in length and weighed about 250 pounds. Not to minimize the recent sighting, Lieutenant Riley noted people often mistake dolphins for sharks. See a dorsal fin on the surface and the shark fin Dorsal fins are going to have the straight line on the back with a angle forward that may have some curve to it. The dolphins, their dorsal fins curve front and back. Experts say the increase in numbers of sharks is a sign that conservation efforts have succeeded. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The jackpot for the Mega Millions lottery has reached $1.1 billion. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. The Mega Millions drawing takes place on Tuesday and Friday nights. 
The jackpot has been growing since April 15th, when the last prize of $20 million was won. And uh, what would you do if you won? Pay some bills. Yeah. Definitely pay bills. Uh, that'll be a priority. That's the number one priority for me. Knock some bills down. Uh, and after that, uh, I'll see what I got left. In the history of the Mega Millions, two jackpots totaling over $1 billion have been won. The last winner was in January of 2021. Gosh, all of that money? Uh, you could do so much with it. Buy my son a house, my daughter a house, <laughs> um, pay off my student loans. No Mega Millions jackpot has ever been won in Washington, D.C. But that didn't stop residents from trying their luck and dreaming about what they would do with that much money. Uh, there are a lot of things that, that I dream about, uh, but a lot of it is, is uh, money for organizations that will help uh, better everybody. The next drawing will take place Friday at 11 p.m. Winners can choose to take a lump sum payment or receive 30 annual payments. And uh, what, what would you do if you want? Well, uh, I'll donate some money. <laughs> maybe uh, some percentage, maybe 10%, 20% donate my money, and then um, I'll spend my money for my family. For myself, maybe I'll buy a Tesla. <laughs> and then buy a nice house. All prizes are taxable, but that isn't stopping anyone from buying a ticket and trying their luck. If no one wins on Friday, the jackpot will continue to grow. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, Chinese telecom company Huawei has come under the scrutiny of the FBI. It has to do with the location of some of its cell tower equipment. And Chinese exports to Russia soar in 2022, including materials used in making military gear. The exports could be helping Russia prolong the war in Ukraine. We'll have all that and more for you after this short break. Three hostile foreign actors breached the U.S. federal court system in a 2020 cyber attack. That's according to New York Congressman Gerald Nadler. On Thursday, he revealed that the three carried out an incredibly significant and sophisticated cyber attack against the federal court's document management system. He added that the security breach had a disturbing impact on pending civil and criminal litigation, as well as ongoing national security or intelligence matters. The U.S. Judiciary issued a statement about the breach on January 6, 2021, saying that its case management electronic case file system had become a victim of an apparent compromise. The system allows attorneys to file case documents such as pleadings, motions, and petitions with the court online. The judiciary added the breach happened because of vulnerabilities in its system that greatly risked compromising highly sensitive non-public documents, especially sealed filings. Nadler said that the Judiciary Committee learned in March of the startling breadth and scope of the system's security failure. And the House has approved legislation that seeks to address the issue of increasing cyber threats to U.S. energy infrastructure. It provides for grants to university students who specialize in cybersecurity. The legislation directs the Secretary of Energy to create a grant program to provide financial assistance to certain graduate students and postdoctoral researchers, in particular those pursuing certain courses of study relating to cybersecurity and energy infrastructure. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm will be tasked with providing traineeship and research experiences to students and researchers at utilities and national labs owned by the Department of Energy. It states that integrating cybersecurity considerations into the research, design, and development of energy infrastructure will be a cost-effective way to secure U.S. electric grids, oil and gas pipelines, and other generation, transmission, and distribution systems. After one year, Granholm must submit a report on the development and implementation of the program to the House and the Senate. 
TikTok is stepping up its lobbying efforts with a blitz on Congress and the executive branch. The platform's parent company is connected to the Chinese regime, so we ask, how pervasive is foreign influence in the U.S.? From the CCP buying farmland in North Dakota near an Air Force base to its use of technology to gain information on Americans, who's connecting the dots? Our next guest is a national security expert. He breaks down the danger that Chinese-owned TikTok poses to Americans. Please welcome Casey Fleming, who is the CEO of Black Ops Partners Corporation. Thank you for joining us today, Casey. Thank you for having me. TikTok recently just spent a record two and a third million dollars on lobbying the U.S. House, the Senate, and the White House in just one quarter. What do you make of this? Uh, what I make of it is it's a significant national security concern. So 2.3 million is a very large step up over the last two years, 2019, 2020, 2021. Uh, that step up is because uh, the U.S. Uh, intelligence uh, apparatus is actually looking at it as a national security concern. So um, the step up is to try to lobby that from happening and from taking TikTok off, TikTok off the phones of, of our children and young adults. Tell us more about ByteDance, who owns TikTok and its connection to the CCP and how this would pose a threat to the United States. Well, first, when you're doing it, when you're doing any business whatsoever with uh, a company in China or buying products with China or your your investments are in China or some of your investments are in China, it's important to understand that you're doing business directly with the Chinese Communist Party. So when you say a company owns uh, TikTok or ByteDance, it's really the Chinese Communist Party that owns TikTok and owns the parent, which is ByteDance. So how would they use any of this information on the app to their advantage? Well, it, there's this, uh, a lot of people don't understand. They think an app on a phone is very innocuous and uh, it's, it's just fun to use. And that's exactly what it's designed to do. It's a total national security concern. It's a personal security concern. And when I say that, it means that it change, it's, it's got the ability to be used against you uh, currently and in the future. Don't just think about what's going on today. So if they're tracking everything on your phone, what time you wake up, where you go, what to, how much time you spend on your apps, what, what apps you went to when you first woke up, what was, what was, the, what was the most important, your geolocation, uh, where are your, you know, your pictures and the geolocation on those pictures that are in your, your camera roll, uh, your emails, your passwords, your contacts, everything is being tracked and sent to China. So Casey, very briefly, I mean, I can understand how the sensitive information of officials could be very dangerous if it gets out, but the average American, how does it affect you know, just the landscape of the United States if the CCP does get a hold of this information? Well, your phones are tracking everything you do, everything, where you go, what's important to you, where, what your, uh, not just your personal information, but also any business or company information, or if you work for the government, those type of things. And all that information is being sent back to China, whether it's been, on, whether it's on your phone or whether it's on your computer, if you're uh, using TikTok uh, either way, on your phone or on your computer. So you have to understand that those applications are meant to send all this information back. And you have to understand your adversary. They call us their enemy. So what does that tell you? So uh, you have to understand when, they, when you have an enemy, if you just think back in previous wars, for, think about it. How would Hitler have acted in World War II if he had uh, technical information, all the technology information he ever dreamt about on every American and every Brit? Uh, and every French person back in World War II. It's just understand, you have to understand your enemy to understand what they're using that information for. We, we look at it the different way. We're used to looking at the world as a free world and everybody's got the same values. And that's certainly not the case when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party. Well, it's definitely a very important issue to be addressed. Casey Fleming, Black Ops Partners Corporation, thank you so much for your analysis. Thank you for having me. Chinese tech company Huawei has long been the subject of U.S. government allegations that it could spy on U.S. customers. And now the FBI is focused on the placement of the company's cell tower equipment. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more. Chinese telecom company Huawei is in the hot seat over some of its business decisions. An FBI investigation found that the company has a pattern of installing equipment on cell towers located near American military bases. What makes that a cause for suspicion? The towers are in rural areas where installing gear is not profitable for the company. So why install gear there? 
The FBI reportedly found that Huawei's equipment could technically disrupt American military communications. That includes highly restricted Defense Department communications used by U.S. Strategic Command, the force that oversees nuclear weapons. A recent CNN report highlighted the issue, but U.S. officials and experts have been raising similar concerns over Huawei for years. In a recent interview, Jonathan Pelson, author of the book Wireless Wars, said the Chinese telecom company is driven by motives other than profit. It was clearly not a coincidence because they were not making any money on these deployments. It was clearly a, a political and military move that they were that they were doing to put their cell tower equipment right around our most secure locations in the country. Huawei is believed to have extensive links to the Chinese Communist Party. China's support of Russia has raised concerns across the Western world. That's with Beijing ramping up its shipments of goods to Russia. Let's take a closer look. In the first half of 2022, Chinese microchip exports to Russia have doubled compared to last year. Now they're worth around 50 million U.S. dollars. What's more, shipments of printed circuits are soaring to double-digit percentage growth. Those parts are a significant component in making military gear, as well as a crucial material for weapons manufacturing and aerospace. Aluminum oxide shipments from China to Russia are also 400 times higher than last year. That's according to Chinese customs data. U.S. Ambassador to China Nicholas Burns last week emphasized the U.S. government's urging for China to stop supporting Russia. Since the beginning of the Ukraine war, Washington has repeatedly warned Beijing not to aid Russia's invasion. It's also made clear that if Beijing insists on supporting the country, China will face sanctions as well as Russia. Beijing denies supporting the war, though Chinese data reflects boosted oil and raw materials exports that may be helping continue the conflict. Last month, Washington just announced plans to add five Chinese companies to its trade blacklist. That's after they reportedly aided Moscow's military. On the Chinese side, Beijing refuses to call the Russian attack on Ukraine an invasion and blames the U.S. for the issue. Beyond that, Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping has said China and Russia's friendship has no limits. The U.S. aircraft carrier USS Ronald Reagan has returned to the South China Sea with its fighter and reconnaissance aircraft on board. That's as tensions between the U.S. and China rise over a potential visit to Taiwan by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Commander Haley Sims said in a statement that USS Ronald Reagan Strike Group is operating in the South China Sea after a port visit to Singapore. He says further ship movements cannot be discussed, but that the carrier group is continuing normal operations in support of a, quote, free and open Indo-Pacific. The move comes amid increased speculation over the timing of a potential visit by Pelosi to Taiwan, a self-governing island that China views as a breakaway province. It would be part of a broader trip to Asia in the coming weeks. A security plan involving ships and aircraft is being developed by the Pentagon to ensure Pelosi is kept safe should the trip go ahead. And just ahead, as Europe wonders whether it will have to start rationing because of gas supply shortages, we take a look at the history of rationing in various countries. And a German pilot project is looking into the dual use of solar power and fruit growing. Part of the mission is to grow organic apples while producing green electricity at the same time. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. The Eurozone economy grew 0.7% in the second quarter, according to Eurostat, the statistical office of the European Union. That follows first quarter GDP growth of 0.5%, and it's much stronger than economists had expected. European Economics Commissioner Paolo Gentoli tweeted that the latest growth figures are good news, but that uncertainty remains high for the coming quarters. He said there's a need to maintain unity and be ready to respond to an evolving situation as necessary. Inflation was also higher than expected, however, at 8.9% in the year up to July from 8.6% a month earlier. A 40% rise in energy prices and a 10% increase in food prices due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine were the main drivers. Germany, the EU's biggest economy, showed zero growth while France, Italy and Spain expanded by more than was forecast. France's GDP grew 0.5% in the three months to June. G7 ambassadors, Ukrainian, Turkish, and UN officials attended a news briefing at Odessa port today after overseeing preparations of ships at two Black Sea ports in Ukraine. 
They're hoping those ports can restart grain exports that have been blocked since the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. British Ambassador to Ukraine Melinda Simmons thanked Ukraine for the efforts to make the deal happen. She called on Russia to follow through on the agreements. Canada's ambassador to Ukraine said the ships were loaded and ready to go. Russia and Ukraine agreed last week to unblock grain exports from Black Sea ports. The deal was the first diplomatic breakthrough on the conflict. Wheat prices in Asia slid this week on expectations of higher supplies, but fierce fighting makes it risky. Ukraine's infrastructure minister said he hoped the first ships could leave the port before the end of the week, and the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine said she hoped an agreement would be reached later on Friday to open the way for the first shipment. While the blockage of grain from Ukraine has fed into food price rises around the world, shortages of Russian gas have raised energy prices in Europe and prompted fears of shortages over winter. European countries are looking at ways to curb gas demand as they brace for further cuts in Russian supplies. Through war, siege, and social strife, countries across the world have had a long and often painful history of rationing. Let's take a look at some of those episodes. Rationing in Europe used to look like this. Today, it looks more like this. European countries are trying to curb demand for gas as they brace for further cuts in Russian supplies, raising the prospect of outright rationing across the continent. Between the 1st of August and March 31st, 2023, by at least 15%. We've been here many times before. Why not have breakfast in the kitchen? It is warmer in the morning than... Through war, siege and social strife, the world has pared back the use of everything, from food to fuel and water. Let's take a look at some of those episodes. Yes, one young man who is going to make sure of his ration. Not forget. A year after entering World War II, Britain introduced a food ration system, allocating coupons for things like sugar, bacon, and cheese. People were encouraged to grow their own fruit and veg. They must have it, and you can do with less. Just weeks after the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1942, tires became the first product to be rationed in the US. Gasoline and food rationing began shortly after. Macaroni and cheese became the recipe of choice for millions because it required very few ration points. This following the grave news of impending shortages. After the Second World War, rationing behind the communist-run Iron Curtain was widespread. Today, meat became the ultimate status symbol. In Poland, the government rationed sugar, cigarettes, shoes, petrol, meat and other basic food essentials. It led to hunger demonstrations and the growth of the anti-communist solidarity movement by the early 1980s. People have grown tired of the daily scramble to fill their stomachs, many say, now worse than during the war. In 1973, the oil embargo by Arab exporting states plunged Europe into a deep energy crisis. West Germany, Denmark, Italy and others banned driving on Sundays. France lowered speed limits and stopped TV broadcasting at 11pm to encourage people to go to bed. In 2014, Venezuela's Nicolas Maduro introduced a secure food supply card. It sets limits on purchases and is intended to stop shoppers stocking up on subsidized groceries and reselling them. Cuba's rationing system, introduced shortly after Fidel Castro's 1959 revolution, made a comeback during the coronavirus pandemic. Basic items like soap and washing up liquid became subject to rationing amid widespread shortages. In other parts of the world, panic buying stripped supermarket shelves bare forcing some grocers into ad hoc rationing of goods like toilet paper. Imagine growing organic apples while producing green electricity at the same time. That's exactly what one German pilot project is looking into through the dual use of solar power and fruit growing. Since 2020, a research facility has been running in Gelsdorf in southern Germany. Here, organic fruit farmer Christian Nachtwe looks after the fruit orchards with solar panels on top. The research is conducted on various apple varieties. Part of the mission is to find out how the solar panels protect the fruit crop from the weather. We are under an agri-photovoltaic plant here. 
This is an experimental plant. We are trying to combine solar power production with crop protection, which is essential in cultivation. We need crop protection. We need to protect the crop from heavy rain, from hail, from too intense sunlight, which later leads to burns on the fruit. In addition to growing fruit, the system also produces green energy. Mm -hmm. We hope that with the Agri-PV systems we can actually kill two birds with one stone. On the one hand, we can sustainably produce high-quality fruit under the same conditions as we do now with the standard hail net. And at the same time, we have the protective function of the Agri-PV system and can also produce green electricity. One advantage of the Agri-PV system is that no agricultural land would be lost, like with usual ground-mounted photovolactic systems. Another important thing is that we do not lose any agricultural land with the Agri-PV system. In other words, with normal ground-mounted photovoltaics, this usable land is lost, and here we can do it in dual use. The agricultural land remains in use, and in addition we can produce green electricity. The solar modules are constructed so that enough sunlight is allowed to pass through that allows the apples to grow and ripen. Agri-photovoltaics offer the chance that if the whole thing is built and installed for the benefit of the crop, we can achieve crop protection, a cultivation space that can be used for years, if not decades. The solar power generated could even be used to power an electric tractor. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A Bolivian startup is betting on a government initiative. It's to tap into the world's largest lithium deposit. The company hopes locally made batteries can be used in the electric cars they produce. The automaker Quantum is based in central Bolivia. The company makes tiny cars that can hold up to three passengers and travel at speeds of up to 34 miles per hour. But their lithium batteries are made abroad. Bolivia is home to the world's largest lithium mine. The country's president, Luis Arce, is pushing to industrialize its vast lithium resources before his term ends in 2025. Bolivia has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in lithium mining. Still, it produces very little of the battery material, partly because of impurities. While lithium is key to making batteries, so are other metals like nickel and cobalt, which Bolivia does not produce and would need to import. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, Senegal hopes an underwater museum can bring back more fish to its waters. Overfishing has threatened the country's food supply, and local fishermen are catching less fish. And pet owners in the United Arab Emirates are taking their dogs for a run on the treadmill. This is the country's first dog gym. Let's find out more in just a minute here on NTD News. In Hong Kong, a giant suspended video panel fell down onto dancers at a pop concert. At least two dancers were injured, one of them seriously. And now, all shows are suspended at Hong Kong's Coliseum. And just a warning, some viewers may find the following disturbing. Hong Kong boy band Mirror was performing at the time. None of the members of the group were injured, but according to local media, the dancers and three audience members were hurt. Authorities have banned the group from performing pending an investigation. The band was scheduled for a run of 12 shows. The hugely popular group was formed in 2018 through a reality television show. More than 13,000 Mirror fans signed an online petition asking the concert organizer to fix the problems and ensure the safety of all. Concert organizer Makerville is owned by a Hong Kong tycoon. It said it was investigating the accident. The local culture secretary said all shows at the venue were suspended until its stage structure is deemed safe. An NGO in Senegal has covered an area of ocean floor with concrete sculptures. They're designed to revive marine life and raise awareness about desertification and plastic pollution. Beneath the waves off Dakar's coast lies one of Senegal's newest museums. The unusual silhouettes emerging in the underwater gloom are sculptures. Made from ecological concrete, they're designed to restore marine life in an area that suffered from overfishing. The pieces, donated by artists at the end of last year, are also intended to raise awareness around ocean desertification and 
plastic pollution. Rodwan El Ali is director at the Oceanium Diving Center, the Senegalese NGO that created the underwater museum. So we will have micro seaweeds that will cling to them, fish that will eat these algae, crustaceans and so on. The fish that were on the rock will move to this art piece and then to that one and eventually the fish that were there will move to there. The bigger the museum gets, the more small fish it will attract. And then the more small fish come, the more big fish will come. That would be good news for artisanal fishermen like Blaise Mbeng. A short distance from Oceanium's museum, he's hauling in today's catch. But he says they've only caught seven kilos, which will sell for around three US dollars per kilo. Effectively, he says, they've earned nothing. Mbeng blames industrial fishing. Our government grants a lot of fishing licenses. Where we used to find fish, we find trawlers. 20 kilometers off our coast, where we used to fish, there are now boats that spread their big nets. The tuna that we used to catch and other species are caught by the trawlers. We don't have much left. Once among the richest in the world, experts say West Africa's fish stocks are being depleted to feed European and Asian markets. That poses a threat to livelihoods and food security. World Bank data says some 600,000 people, almost 20% of Senegal's workforce, are employed in fishing. Their hauls account for 75% of the country's animal protein intake. But Mbeng says when he goes to the sea now, he loses more than he gains. It's hoped that initiatives like the Underwater Museum can help breathe life back into the ocean. The hill town of Shimla is a well-known tourist hotspot in northern India. Local horse owners are calling for a shelter for their rain-drenched horses. Tourists come to this town to visit Shimla Ridge and escape the harsh summer heat. Horseback riding is one of the main tourist attractions in the region. Hundreds of horse owners depend on it for their livelihoods, but animals suffer when it rains. Many horses get sick from prolonged exposure to moisture. On rainy days, they are made to wear plastic sheeting as raincoats. The president of the local Horse Owners Association says some horses have even died for lack of shelter. An Indian high court has ordered the construction of shelters for humans and animals alike, but horse owners say none have been built yet. A one-of-a-kind fitness facility is open in the United Arab Emirates, and it's welcoming four-legged clients. Let's take a look. Posh Pets is the Emirates' first indoor dog gym. Located in Abu Dhabi, the business ushered in a new group of customers. The idea was on, uh, to, make, to provide like a, a healthy gym for all the kind of dogs. I was one of those people to be uh, owning a dog. My struggling was on uh, summertime how I can uh, provide a good environment to exercise them. Dog owners take their pets on two treadmills designed specifically for dogs. Following assigned safety measures, the canines wear a harness secured to a spring system. They do running, jogging, or walking at their own pace for 15 minutes. My friends told me about this very nice place where my dog can have a nice activity without being hit by the sun, without having any distractions, just a place specialty for dogs. So that was the main reason we came here. Both dogs and owners seem to enjoy the sessions. Each visit, the dogs gradually increase their exercise time. This way their muscles can properly adapt to using the machine at longer intervals. A giant 3D dog appeared on digital screens in Tokyo's Shibuya district today. It caught the attention of pedestrians as it leaped across electronic billboards to catch a frisbee. The dog, an Akita, appears once an hour on eight separate screens. The installation comes after a 3D cat on another billboard in Tokyo went viral last year. The project's creative director said the 3D cat in Shinjuku is famous, but people, when people think of Shibuya, it has to be a dog. That was the request from the billboard advertising company. The busy crossing has a landmark in the form of a statue of a dog named Hachiko. The Akita is remembered for his loyalty as he sat outside the nearby station every day for nearly a decade after his owner's death, waiting for him to return. 
And just ahead, a wedding happens every year in the village of Galuchnik in a mountainside in North Macedonia's border with Albania. Scores of wedding goers get together for the event each year. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. On a mountainside near North Macedonia's border with Albania, a special event called Petrovden happens every year in the village of Galichnik. Also known as the St. Peter's Day wedding, scores of wedding goers in traditional costume get together for the event each July. The groom sits back as his best man glides a straight razor across his jaw. It's just one of a host of traditions that make a Macedonian marriage. The Galiknik wedding represents a way that brings together tradition, history, and art, something that should be respected, something that we should protect and keep. The bride starts the celebration by peeping through a wedding ring. Then she and the groom arrive on horseback. Feeling is very interesting, unusual. All the attention is on you. You are in charge, and it needs to be nice. Begun in the middle of the last century, the Glitchnikov wedding was devised as a way to unite the community as families and young people moved out. Today, the tradition draws Macedonians from all corners of the world. My background is Macedonian. My parents are from Macedonia, and uh, I've been wanting to come here since I was a little girl. I used to dance Macedonian dancing, and so all of the costumes that they wear, we, we, we wore when we were dancing, and so I wanted to come here since a little girl, and I'm finally here. <laughs> when the ceremony is over, the dancing begins. The women are dressed up in brightly colored gowns and perform the bride's dance. I mean, I'd, I'd like to be part of the, the entourage and um, I'd love to be able to dress up in the costumes and, and dance with them. Um, I think it's an incredible part of our history, a part of Macedonia's history, and I'm really pleased that they continue to continue with it. The men are dressed in wool trousers and caps and perform the teshkoda, or hard dance. Its name refers not just to the difficult nature of the dance, but also symbolizes the hardship families faced as people left the village to provide for their loved ones. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A whiskey featuring the taste of green crab is going viral, and not just because of its unique flavor. It's also said to help solve an environmental concern. Tamworth Distilling is in a small town in New Hampshire near the Canadian border. Close to it are the waters of the Atlantic Ocean. There, global warming has led to a flood of green crabs. That's bad news for other marine life, but it has given Tamworth new inspiration. The brewery combined more than 90 pounds of green crabs with a four-year-old bourbon base to make a green crab-flavored whiskey, the Crab Trapper. The blended whiskey is steeped in spices. One distiller said the inspiration came from an Asian cooking where fish sauce is used. With a limited run of only about 500 gallons per batch, the spirit is already in short supply. Production of the fourth batch is about to begin. For now, distribution is only within the United States, but the brewery hopes that one day it will expand to other parts of the world, especially Asia. Why is it that some people beat all the odds? A Japanese lady, aged 119 years old, loved sugary drinks. What other factors featured in this super centenarian's life? Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Why is it that some people's diets are pretty questionable, yet they live to advanced old age? What factors besides diet come into play? Well, the Guinness World Records verified that Kane Tanaka was the world's longest living person. She sadly passed away in April this year, aged 119. She enjoyed most foods. Liquid choices included canned coffee and carbonated drinks. Oh, and did I mention chocolates? Let's take a look at her lifestyle. She got along well with the nursing home staff. She practiced calligraphy and kept up with mathematics every week. She set herself the goal to quote, live a healthy life to the age of 120. Doctors say three major factors exist. Socializing to avoid loneliness. Generally, older people have fewer friends leading to loneliness and a breakdown in physical health. People who maintain contact with family, friends and community usually live longer. Loneliness harms mental health. Cognitive function takes a hit when the spirit is dented due to loneliness. 
photos of Kane's life revealed a peaceful and calm person. Doctors believe the real secret is a generous heart. Patients diagnosed with cancer of the heart or lungs often carry resentment or hatred near these organs. Negative emotions affect the immune system. We concentrate on physical disorders, but what about brain health? Try these. Live in the present, be curious, do hobbies, be considerate of others, maintain friendships and keep physically fit. These attributes came naturally to Kane. Helping others and being altruistic guarantees good brain health. The 39th annual New Jersey Lottery Festival of Ballooning set off today from a central region of the Garden State. A crowd was on hand in Reddington, New Jersey for the inflation and start of the festival. Some 175,000 people are expected to take part over the weekend. About 45 balloons are being included. They range from those dedicated to the New Jersey Lottery and Pepsi to some that are dedicated to tigers and unicorns. The New Jersey Division of Travel and Tourism says the annual festival is the largest summertime hot air balloon and music festival in North America. The clear and cloudy day with calm winds were ideal for flight. Prices for a ride range from $250 to $315 per person, depending on the time of day. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan. NTD News, New York City.